Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome, I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Daniel Boren is an Executive Director at the MaxSoft Group, comprising Strata Max, Strata Pay and Strata Cash Management. Daniel's wide experience over the past decade includes successful entrepreneurial ventures in Hong Kong, China and the Philippines. Before pursuing these opportunities overseas, Daniel worked in IT sales and consulting here in Australia for well-known companies such as Hewlett-Packard and EMC. Daniel has been invited to present in English, Mandarin and Cantonese across a broad range of media and technology forums over the years. In 2009, he returned to Australia to take up the role of Group Sales, Marketing and Training Director for Stratamax. Daniel considers himself to be in the privileged position to be able to both spend time with and solicit ideas from some of the greatest minds in the strata industry. Today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Daniel Boren. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. And I just realised we've uh, we've just dropped off uh, the Strata Loans product, which we recently launched. What's well, actually a year old now, but we um, ah. we do lending to um, owners corporations and bodies corporate for capital works and maintenance and that sort of thing. Oh, so, fabulous! Um, yes, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Good to know because Stratamax is um, quite a well known name in the Strata sector, as is your name too, Daniel. And uh, when I think of Stratamax and you in particular, I think of those SCA conferences where you stand up and present to us all of the fascinating and sometimes frightening things that are happening in the world of technology in the modern world and how they're going to affect our strata schemes and it's been a while now you have been on my list and wanting to grab you as a guest to come on this podcast to talk about all that uh, interesting technological stuff. Absolutely. Well, it's it is exciting stuff, and it is just changing so quickly. Mm. So it's it's a fun spot to be uh, checking out, keeping abreast of this stuff, and keeping ahead of the curve. And I think that's what uh, might be interesting for some of your listeners to see, you know, where things are at. What can they maybe look forward to? What can they take advantage of as well? So um, yeah, yeah. I, hope, I hope to share some of the wisdom in that. <laughs> Absolutely. Why don't we start by talking about some of the key areas where you think, Daniel, there have been advances in technology and how they are going to directly impact our strata communities? Look, one of the focal points for um, I guess, innovation with regards to strata communities, when you're thinking particularly about the administration of strata communities, is the the emergence of owners' portals. Mm. And uh, that's something that we actually released way back in 2001. We released our first iteration of the owners' portal. And, you know, back then it gave owners access to, you know, financials, reports, meeting minutes, bylaws, that sort of thing. They're also able to make payments, submit inquiries, change the details online. And the uptake in that has been so much slower than we would have expected. Uh, and only now, almost 17 years later, are we at that level where I would have expected we were years after releasing that. Yeah. And I guess it's just a couple of things, potentially just the interest in your own strata community and the administration of that and what happens and how it all works, mm. as well as, I guess, technological barriers 
uh, back in 2001, it wasn't a, a definitive thing that everyone had access and everyone went on the web. So, you know, that's something that's obviously something of the past. It's mm. not an issue anymore. So these days, for the more active strata managers, we're seeing up to about half the number of lots actually logging in, okay. which, you know, has been a huge, a huge increase from when it was, you know, 5 10% of owners were the ones interested to go and have a look. Mm-hmm. And as over the years, what's happened is that there's just been more and more information and um, content that's available to them. Managers even able to, depending on which platform they use, develop their own content and publish it, as well as publish and push things up from their own financials and document management systems. Mm. So what it means is there's just a really strong capability to self-service if you're an owner to get on and, you know, you had a question about something and, and to find that answer and up to, up to the minute data as well. Mm. Well, I'm definitely seeing that with what I provide to members inside the YSP online community because I have a forum where I'm providing guidance on legal issues and answering questions about legal things that might be happening inside a strata building. And I'm seeing owners really engage with that, which is exciting. The kinds of portals that you're talking about there with strata managers, it sounds like there could be anything from the last set of financials that were discussed at the annual general meeting to checking on your account balance for your levies to checking in with your strata manager and asking a particular question about the the running of the building. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. And and one of the some of the areas where we've seen more advances in that in more recent years has been just trying to push the the transparency and as much to get real-time information, status reports, things like that. And um, invoices, for example, is a is probably one of the more frequented things that is done on the, the portal, and that is to approve invoices. So for the committee, mm. it's just become so much easier to be involved, to see what, what's being paid and approve it as it goes through. Yep. So that's, um, that's probably what we're seeing now. And what is one of the exciting things that's coming soon is the, um, the idea of online voting. And, and that's really yes. topical, as you know, Amanda, with the changes to the New South Wales legislation, mm. particularly in New South Wales, it's hot at the moment. Mm. But we're in development of a online voting platform, which we're going to call VoteMax. Cool. And we are, yeah, we're demoing that at the National Strata Community Australia Conference, Great. which will be exciting. Yep. And um, we'll continue to, to be working on that. And it's going to, what we believe, just make it so easy for owners to get involved and literally in a number of you know minutes, you could you know have a log in, have a look um, at what motions are up there, vote and complete the whole thing um, in a matter of minutes. And now we're actually going to get voices being heard that traditionally have just maybe been a bit apathetic to the process because it's kind of you know you're busy. You know, mm-hmm. can you attend meetings? Um, in other states, you might be able to do pre-meeting voting, but it involves you know taking out an envelope and you know, ticking things and mm-hmm. putting it in the post. And let's face it, today's generation of owners, they're too busy for that. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you that one of the huge benefits that strata schemes are experiencing because of technology is this ability to vote electronically. And I agree with you that it it is going to see a higher engagement level from those owners who typically perhaps haven't been so engaged because they're overseas, they're interstate, it's an investment property, it's too difficult to get to the meetings or to fill out the forms. But jumping online and doing something that we're all really comfortable with, it's as quick as sending an email, clicking a button and being able to have 
have your voice heard. I think that's a fabulous initiative in the New South Wales legislation. It's been happening in Queensland for a while now too. And how exciting Stratamex is coming out with some software. So um, it'd be interesting to see that. If your owners are interested to keep track of those developments, we have put up a page um, just as initial sort of placeholder and register interest. It's at www.stratamax.com slash strata voting. So um, if your owners want to keep abreast of how that's going, uh, feel free to log on to the webpage and and check it out. Fabulous. And I'll make sure I've got that link in the show notes for this episode. The other thing that I will remind our listeners is that we do have the transcript for this episode available. And that's always handy if you are driving, if you're at the gym, if you're listening to this on the run. This episode, like all of our episodes, is packed with value. And a really good way to share that with your committee, with your strata manager, with other owners is to grab the transcript. So the link for this transcript of this episode is at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash 069 being episode 69. So those links will be in the show notes. All right. Any other key areas that you want to cover off there, Daniel? Technology-wise, there is one area that's particularly close to my heart, Amanda, and that's the idea of um, electric vehicles. Um, I'm a a recent owner of one and have firsthand experienced just how difficult it is to um, install a wall charger for your electric vehicle. Um, (laughs) I don't actually live in an apartment, but at my home, Mm -hmm. I didn't have sufficient power Mm. to install it with any kind of decent speed. Mm. So what I've ended up having to do is install it at the office on three-phase power here. But it's an area where I think we're really going to see significant increase in the number of owners. Mm. I'm not sure if if you're familiar with Brent Clark of Wattblocks, who... um, who do energy and solar reports. Do you know what, Daniel? You are the second guest in the space of a couple of months to bring up Brent's name and I'm currently stalking <laughs> Brent on LinkedIn. Nice. <laughs> Brent, you if you're help, listening. I'll reach out. Yes. <laughs> Waplock is running hot, man. I've got a lot it of guests is. recommending it. <laughs> well, he wrote a really interesting article about a building in Piermont that had two owners that bought Teslas and um, they installed wall chargers in the car park And at that point, they realized they didn't have sufficient power for any other owners in the building to install a wall charger. If they installed one more, it literally meant the lifts would stop working. So uh, not a great thing. And obviously would be a massive bone of contention should another owner want to buy it. You know, why do you have a charger and I don't? Mm -hmm. So what we're going to see is um, the cost of these vehicles is coming down. You've got uh, Tesla, the Model 3, uh, is being released in the US at about 35,000 US. And um, by my estimations, I think that's going to be about $55,000 Australia here. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that's less than half what the current sort of Tesla models cost. Mm. And they're just great vehicles. They're extremely high performance, they're quiet, they're comfortable. So you're going to get a lot more people interested in buying one. You know, then it's just com- you know sort of competing with maybe an Audi or a WRX or a Commodore SS. Mm. So I think you're going to get more people choosing those kind of things. And as these people come into Strata, they, you know, you're going to have challenges with how do we cable to the car individual parking lot if it's not cabled already? Mm. How do we deal with the capacity in the power that's supplied to the building? Yep. And how do we meter and bill that back to the owner? Because uh, that's typically you don't meter at the car parking lot. So yes. there's a host of challenges. I think we've got to we've got to really be talking to developers, um, building managers, 
people like Watblocks about solutions. And there are things that you can do, ways to plan for it. I'm certainly not an expert, but, you know, there mm. are experts out there. The next flow on from that, if we sort of crystal ball gaze a little bit, maybe looking in maybe the five-year range, mm. is the idea of self-driving cars. So yeah. with um, with Tesla, um, Elon Musk, the, the founder of the company, has said that at the end of this year, he will demonstrate a current model, Tesla Model S, to drive from a car park in California all the way to a car park in New York mm. with no human intervention. So that's existing hardware. If you bought a Tesla this year, it will have all the hardware necessary and it's merely just a software upgrade to get these additional functions online. Wow. When you look at that, um, you know, it sort of starts to bring the idea of where does your car live? How do you use your car? They're also talking about launching an Uber-style service for mm -hmm. um for Tesla owners that have actually got a self-driving car, which then may turn up the whole ownership model of do you need a car? If you can mm -hmm. have a personalised private vehicle to your standard, pick you up on demand via an app, um, do you need to buy a car? If it's cheaper, significantly cheaper than cabs, mm. you know, taxis and other human-operated transport, mm. which then leads us from a Strata perspective, Amanda, to what do you do with all of the car parks you know <laughs> underneath? Yes. Because if you don't buy a car, that's one thing. Or if you do buy a car, why would you park it in prime real estate? Well, why would it park itself in prime real estate, more to the point, mm -hmm. when it can go down the block, park in some dingy sort of um, car park stacking lot where they're, you know, centimetres apart because no one needs to open the doors, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we need to start thinking about repurposing car parks. Yeah. And developers that are developing sort of new projects You've also got to think about how do we transition over the next decade? Because we're really, we're not talking about 50 years. The life of most buildings today and certainly the life of new buildings will undoubtedly be dealing with redundant car parking spots. Mm. So it's something to think about. Yeah, and all of those people who are buying uh, property in Sydney and complaining perhaps that all you can afford when you're buying a Strata apartment is maybe the one bedroom and no parking might be ahead of the game. They don't have to worry about Absolutely. the parking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, so it, it's an interesting space and I think it's going to take many companies, governments, organisations by surprise mm. when, you know, this sort of stuff comes online because it, it does really turn many industries, many um, concepts upside down. Mm. Do you know of any buildings, Daniel, who are implementing these or similar technologies to their benefit right now? So uh, whether it's the electric car chargers or the portals yeah. that you're talking about, have you worked with any of those and how they're going with it? Look, the portals, they're very pervasive. Um, certainly from our client base, all the strata managers that use our software do do promote those and yep. use those. So there's, there's lots of buildings that have that. Electric charges, you know, mm -hmm. when I've presented on, um, on this sort of thing, I usually get one or two people put their hand up in the audience and said, yeah, we've, we've had some of those installed in our building. So it's, it's still, uh, it's not super common. Yep. Um, the idea of repurposing car parks, though, is something that I think starting to get some traction. And mm. I was reading about um, a development in LA, which has over a thousand car parks when it's going to be released, but they've actually built the car parking levels perfectly flat and they have small areas where the ramps are. Mm -hmm. And they've literally rendered up pictures of how those same floors can be <laughs> repurposed after they, they're no longer needed, which clever. I think is, is just really clever to design it that way because 
doing that is going to enhance the value of those buildings moving forward for the owners and the amenities that they may have available to them. Mm. So I'd like to see more of that here, actually. Yeah, that is true future-proofing, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we are uh, always interested in not only identifying but solving problems here on this podcast, Daniel. What would you say are the most common tech problems you've noticed people face in Strata and what are your suggestions for overcoming those? There is a really, really big problem from a technology front and um, I read read a survey in the US by Comcast, who's one of their large internet service providers over there, and in a survey of their customers – they found that 34% of their clients rated access to Wi-Fi as the most important element when choosing a building to live in. Mm-hmm. When you actually can contrast that, 13% said washers and dryers were the most important thing to have <laughs> access for in buildings. So Wi-Fi is actually more important than clean clothes. Yeah, okay? I get it. So, I get it. Yeah, I exactly. wouldn't be doing I mean, this you, podcast you can... if it wasn't for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what this means from you know, a person or an owner living in Strata, and for many of your listeners, is you're surrounded by Wi-Fi signals. You know, every apartment has a Wi-Fi router in it. Mm. There's one on your left, there's one on your right, there's one upstairs, Mm. there's one downstairs. And all of these Wi-Fi signals can really impact on each other. And the most common variant of Wi-Fi router that most internet service providers would ship or you would buy probably in the last five years is operating on a standard 2.4 gigahertz. And that is quite a, uh, an older standard, but it means that when, when one of those fires up, it's going to choose usually one of three bands, but most of the bands actually overlap each other. So your owners may not realise this, but they, they may be suffering reliability or speed issues mm-hmm. that you know they may think that's their internet service provider. The most likely source of their problem is their next-door neighbour's Wi-Fi signals. Wow. So if you're operating just a standard out-of-the-box, one of those 2.4 gigahertz routers, and you, you'll see it labelled on it, yep. um, you'll probably find you are actually dealing with some issues in that regard. Mm. Um, there's a couple of simple recommendations, though, for your listeners. Please. And uh, there is a, a more high-tech solution, but we'll start with just a simple solution is you throw some money at it and you buy a new router. You go down to Harvey Norman, you say, I want a 5 gigahertz router. 5 gigahertz five, router. Yep. Yeah, a 5 <laughs> gigahertz router. <laughs> yeah, write it down. <laughs> go into your lounge rooms now and check yeah. your broadband, guys. Yeah. Um, the 5 gigahertz standard is a non-overlapping Wi-Fi signal and it has many more channels. I think there's like 23 channels and they don't overlap each other. So if you're using uh, a five gigahertz router, the chances are you're probably not going to get contention or speed issues. So if someone in the 2.4 gigahertz range, if someone's using the same channel of you, you won't get reliability issues. You'll just get lower speed Mm -hmm. because they they actually are able to coordinate. But if they're using a different channel, they may be overlapping. So with that five gigahertz, you'll, you'll find it's much better. The only caveat, Amanda, is that that frequency is not as good at penetrating through thick walls. So if you've got a lot of big, thick concrete walls, you have to be really strategic about where you place your router Mm -hmm. um, so as not to sort of have a degraded signal um, if you're behind lots of walls. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, the simplest thing that you could probably do as well is to make sure your broadband router is installed where the heart of all of your sort of speed hungry devices are. So that's usually the, you know, the, the living room, mm-hmm. you know, plugging the cables directly into your Apple TV, into your TV, into your, you know, your d- digital VCR, whatever it is, plugging directly into those via cable is going to be by far the best solution. There'll be great speed, no contention, no interference. And last but not least, if you're still having issues, um, you know, if you've got thick walls and if you're not willing to, you know, pull apart your walls to cable them, there is actually something called a power line adapter. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is it's two, It's kind of like a big double adapter. It plugs into your power and it has a cable, a network cable that comes out on the bottom of it. And what they are doing is they're using your home's electrical wires as a network. Okay. Um, so they can actually be quite good. They often are faster than Wi-Fi and they're much less prone to interference. Mm. So again, if you went down to Harvey Norman and say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to buy, you know, some power line adapters and you can get a, you know, a cheaper one of those, you know, for a hundred bucks or something. And they are also able to have more than just a pair of them. So if you've got a few access points, so it might be a combination, Amanda, you might mm. go, well, you know, you've got your, your normal router in the open area where everyone can access it. And if you find signal strength is poor, you know, if you've got a study way on the other side of your apartment, then you could actually use one of these power line cables as a sort of hybrid model. Mm. Thank you so much for that, Daniel. I didn't expect you to come on the show and troubleshoot our Wi-Fi problems, but <laughs> I, for one, am definitely going to implement both of those recommendations. Fantastic. <laughs> well, let me know how you go with your speed. I'll be I'll be curious to hear. Um, and maybe some of the ISPs out there are going to receive less complaints now. Yeah, maybe it's not the NBN. <laughs> they have us to thank, yeah. Well, have you had any experience? Um, I mean, with NBN, we, I did a lot of work a couple of years ago helping buildings that had telecommunication providers coming in and and ostensibly setting them up for NBN that never really seemed to arrive. Um, What are your thoughts on that? When are we getting this very fast internet and it's going to become the norm? I think the biggest challenge that NBN has had and the ISPs in the same regard has been the provisioning of the amount of bandwidth that they require. Mm. So what, you know, every... ISP that offers the NBN, and many of your listeners may already understand this, but all of them are basically buying an amount of bandwidth from NBN. And then what they do is they go out and they sell, you know, to buildings on plans and and retail um, for different speeds and so forth. And what they're trying to do is maximize, you know, their revenues, but minimize their costs. So they're not going to go and buy heaps of bandwidth so that at seven o'clock when everyone starts Netflix, that everyone can have full speed internet. And I'm sure your listeners experience that. It's like, you know, the theoretical peaks, if you're on the internet at 4am are great. You're getting exactly what they sold you. But when it comes to those peak times, and if you have a few, you know, if you've got a few people in the house that want to watch Netflix at the same time, you actually can see some real, real problems in the streaming and things, the quality drops down and stuff. So one of the recent changes that NBN made was to incentivize the main ISPs to buy more bandwidth at a cheaper price. Right. So um, I think it was somewhat a linear scale before. What they're actually doing is they're really incentivizing them to buy heaps of data and to use heaps of data. Mm-hmm. Um, the more data they buy and use, the cheaper it gets. So the jury's certainly out mm. on whether this can be solved. But I think, you know, if you look around the forums on the internet, everyone's complaining they're not getting what they bought. Mm. And I think it's very immature. And there is a lot of both, you know, economics and supply and demand and I guess load balancing, you know, that, that needs to happen 
before I think it reaches the level of satisfaction that we all want from the NBN. But the technology is actually there. Yeah. We've just got to work out how to how to sell it properly, provision it properly, and ultimately get the satisfaction that people want out of their internet. Mm. But in the meantime, let's get our five gigahertz routers and our power line Absolutely. adapters. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who are uh, listening intently to you, Daniel, and saying, I love technology. I want to be at the cutting edge. I want to use technology as best I can to improve my experience of strata living. What are your tips for some action steps that those listeners can take to get started on that goal today? Well, I think you've covered the first couple of off. You know, you pretty much all the technology in your house is probably useless if you don't have reliable internet. So go back, maybe get the transcript, yes. have a look at a few <laughs> of those things. If you're a sort of bit tech savvy, Google some of those problems and you actually see people telling you how to troubleshoot and, and really tweak things. Everything from pointing your aerials on your <laughs> router through to changing channels and scanning. I guess closer to home from a Stratamax perspective, I really encourage your owners to actually explore with your strata managers what's available to them to manage their strata affairs. You know, go online, have a look at those owners portals, really check them out, see what you can find. Mm. Um, and, you know, pick up your mouse before you pick up the phone maybe and you might actually <laughs> find, be, be pleasantly surprised that you're getting an answer that you want far quicker than you can by calling someone. Mm. So that would be my, my uh, recommendation. Yes. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I part of the reason I started the podcast and then morphing that into the online community was that I would go to events, I would be invited to deliver presentations and at the end of the presentation there would be a line of owners who wanted to ask me questions about not only what I spoke about in the presentation but how to deal with a particular problem in their Stratus game. And I thought to myself, happy to answer the questions. I tend to get asked the same thing regularly so I can answer them quickly, but there's got to be a better way, a more efficient way to reach more people. And that's part of the reason I started the podcast uh, and now have the online forum for members. If Strata managers can think along those lines as well, how do I use technology to better educate the owners that I work for, the owners in this building, the Strata committee members, and encourage them to do the same thing? How can they use the technology, the platforms, that I'm providing as a strata manager to improve our experience of strata living on both sides as managers and as owners. The technology, as you say, Daniel, is definitely there. Uh, it's just knowing about it, getting comfortable with it. And I also think you're right. When you're talking about things like, for example, electronic voting, the place to start is seeing if your strata manager has the capacity, the capability to be running the kind of software that you need to be able to cater for electronic voting. It's really how the strata manager is set up in their own practice. And that's a good place to start to be asking them whether that's something they can facilitate for your building. Absolutely. I think um, most of the, the solutions are out there in that regard are probably in the works. There are some managers that are, that are, that are trialling things like SurveyMonkey and, and so forth. But in terms okay. of the, the really professional solutions that are, that are very tight, mm. um, I mean, ours is probably a, a little while away as well. Mm. Um, so while the legislation is there, people like ourselves have been analysing this problem for a long time, but we, we didn't quite get to the development phase until the legislation actually defined how things should be done. Yes. Um, and that, that was level one for us 
to build um, what we call technology proof of concepts Mm -hmm. and then from there to actually start development. So that's the phase we're in and, you know, we hope we can deliver it as soon as possible. But just, uh, I guess, FYI, it's not there just yet. (laughs) But it will be. Um, It will be. Yep. Complementing all the other offerings that Stratamax has. And I know that um, you're only growing in the sector. A lot of strata managers I talk to these days are using Stratamax software. So you must be doing something, right? Thank you. We'd like to uh, support our clients, support the industry and make life easy for people living Mm, in strata. Yes. Daniel, what books have had the greatest impact on you and why? uh, That's a really hard question (laughs) because I love books. I'm actually, I'm not an avid reader though. Um, I'm an avid listener. Uh (laughs) So um, I'm one of these people that fall asleep very quickly when they start reading. So um, (laughs) I digest most of my books um, Ah. through um, the Audible app. And if your listeners haven't actually seen or downloaded the Audible app, you know, it's the sort of thing that you could quite easily digest a book a week Mm. just, you know, when you're in the car, when you're at the gym. Um, so I'm a big fan of listening to books. So when you ask which books have had the greatest impact, there's so many, but I would say probably the one that keeps getting rolled out. And I think people living in Strata may appreciate this one, both working and living in Strata, actually, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book called Crucial Conversations. Okay. Um, and it's a book which basically tries to help you deal with crucial conversations. It Uh defines a crucial conversation as a conversation where the stakes are high, opinions differ, and emotions are charged. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) some of the core tenets are to stay focused on your end goals to prevent um, becoming overly emotional. Keep coming back to, you know, what am I actually trying to achieve from a conversation rather than, you know, getting caught up in the emotions. Mm. Making sure that people feel safe, respected um, in both respecting them and their interests. And finally, sort of coming up with an appropriate way to make a decision, which may be about getting more facts. It may be about getting more people involved. And then finally, having a very clear decision outcome, responsibilities, timeframes and things like that. Mm. So it's something that I still feel like a novice with it when it comes to crucial conversations. And it's like a continual work in progress to try to do better. You know, you'll come away with a conversation mm. and, you know, you'll lament yourself for thinking, I could have done that better or did I do this? Or maybe they didn't feel safe enough. But I've found like it's definitely helped me in my job, but it's also helped me to coach my staff Mm. Um, in the organisation, both to resolve conflicts with other departments, um, clients, all that sort of thing. So I think um, it's one of those things that if you're on a committee, definitely um, recommend listening or reading the book Crucial Conversations. Mm. But it it sort of uh, traverses the personal life right through to your business life and everything in between. Mm. So yeah, I love love the book and it is a lot of good lessons to be learned. Great. Well, I'll make sure that I look that one up and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. We usually include links to all of our books where you can get them on Amazon or the book depository. So I'll uh, be sure to um, include crucial conversations. I might check it out myself too. Sounds great. Thank you. All right, Daniel, before we wrap up, how do our listeners find out more about you and is there anything that you'd like to add? Firstly, just wanted to say it's been a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you um, and um, having an opportunity to uh, to talk to your listeners. We do have like a special area of our website that owners can find out more information about what we do relating to owners, and that's at stratamax.com slash four owners. 
Great. So um, if they head on down to there, they can um, they can read about, I guess, what we offer, how you can, you know, get involved with the owner's portal, what's on there. If any of your listeners um, are strata managed and so forth, there's, there's also a lot of information there on stratamax.com as well. But uh, thank you. Excellent. And you have given us so much value in this episode, Daniel, and I want to remind everyone to go and check out the transcript. You can get a copy of the transcript delivered straight to your inbox if you head to yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash zero. Thanks so much for your time, Daniel. Thank you very much, Amanda, and thank you to all your listeners. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?